Welcome to Pursuing Justice. I'm Harriet Hendel, your host on Society Bites Radio. Um, our theme this month, we, you know we always have a theme, will focus on the experience of two women who were incarcerated in prison in the state of Texas. Today, our guest is Jennifer Toon, who began her time as a juvenile offender when she was 15. She spent about two decades in prison, having been released about three and a half years ago. She now works for the Coalition of Texans with Disabilities as a criminal justice and mental health advocate, and she is a published writer. It's a pleasure to welcome you to the program, Jennifer. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. So let's begin by going back to the early years of your incarceration. What was juvenile detention like for someone your age? Oh, um, horrid, <laughs> horrible. Uh, you know, I think looking back on it, I can really see um, just how bad the conditions were. Uh, but I think at the time, you know, having had this mental health crisis that would, that resulted in my offense. Um, I, I don't think I really, I don't think I really fully understood what was happening to me and what was happening around me. Does that make sense? It's like, I was just so, um, traumatized. <laughs> like I was just so, uh, wrapped up in that trauma. I don't think it really occurred to me, um, just how bad the conditions were in the facility, um, the staff. Um, yeah. Um, people ask me all the time, what was, what was the, the worst years of your incarceration? And I always have to say, uh, juvenile, uh, County mm -hmm. juvenile and the state facility most definitely, um, are the things that make up my nightmares. Uh, when, when I, um, when I dream about being in prison. So it was pretty bad. When you say bad, um, for those who are not very well schooled in what really goes on in prison, can you possibly give us some examples, <clears throat> excuse me, of what made it as bad as it was? Sure. So, you know, county jail, um, uh, county juvenile, uh, the county juvenile facility, um, it was just bad conditions, you know, um, constantly, uh, mold and, and not very nutritious food. And it was a co-ed facility and we interacted, um, with the boys quite a bit and, and oftentimes without a lot of supervision. So it kind of felt, uh, that you were <laughs> surviving, um, you know, but I think the worst part of my juvenile experience was at the state facility, which was operated by a private prison, um, called Wackenhut. It is now called the GEO company. And, um, and they changed their name because they had so many lawsuits that were associated with abuse, uh, with the name Wackenhut. So I spent two years at that, uh, facility, um, that was contracted, uh, through the Texas, um, youth commission, which was known as TYC. Uh, they also have changed their name, um, it's the Texas Juvenile Justice Department now, but but back in the day it was TYC, 
and I was living in this facility that was a, a private contract facility out in West Texas uh, with not a lot of supervision um, to what was going on at that facility. And of course, as a private corporation that's known for abuse, it cut a lot of corners running background checks. Uh, we had a lot of um, staff members that were actually pending <laughs> pending trials for uh, sex crimes. Um, and so they were working at these facilities uh, with us. And um, it, it was the kind of things that you could imagine go on at a, a young girl's facility with no oversight, um, very poor conditions, and uh, the staff uh, was, it was bad. It, it was really bad. Um, sexual assaults, uh, bad food, it just everything you can possibly mm. imagine that to be bad, it was. And in terms of anything positive, such as programs for the kids to get involved with, was there anything like that? Well, for us at that facility, absolutely not. Now, on paper, theoretically, there was supposed to be um, all this different type of um, groups. We were in groups all day long. Um, mm -hmm. But be again, because the it was a private corporation, the quality of those groups were not what um, not what were intended and probably weren't what was laid out at the actual uh, facilities that were operated by the state. Uh, so because you're supposed to have, you know, cognitive intervention groups and um, groups where you understand your your the cycle of violence in your life, you know, all these all these things that I'm sure would have been very helpful. Um, but we never finished the curriculum our, the staff would um, change so often. They couldn't keep staff members. So we were constantly like, oh, here's your case manager. You're going to tell your life story to and your, your offense. You know, and this lady stays for about a month and a half and then she leaves. And then we start over with someone else. And, and it's, you know, in those type of situations and groups, you have to really establish trust. Um, and we just learned very quickly not to trust anyone. Um, what was going on uh, in our environment you just learn, well, I, I can't trust anyone. And you come from a, a, a background, obviously, um, that had some type of, of trauma or abuse. Otherwise, you wouldn't have, as a young child, uh, been in that situation uh, to have committed an offense to be in the care of the state. So it's just, it compounds trauma upon trauma. Um, so no, 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 nothing that I can even remotely think of at that facility was, was useful in terms of programming. And so then you went on to an adult facility. Um, and what were the differences in ju juvie, as it often is called, and an adult facility? Well, you know, I, I think my situation was a little bit unique because I was coming from this horrid uh, privately operated facility um, with no structure and a lot of open abuse. Uh, and so when I got to the state facility, uh, to the state system, I was relieved. I was so glad to be there. Um, I felt much safer um, because there was structure and order and there was some, some programming that was available. And, and I really immersed myself. Um, we had a very robust college program at the time and uh, I really immersed myself in, into that. The rest of the program was typically um, faith-based uh, ministries. And a lot of women found that to be a positive experience for them. Uh, as the years have gone by, programming has gotten a little bit better, um, but, but not totally. 
so I, I did find that the difference going to a state facility from my situation was uh, a little bit more programming and it felt safer. I mean, but I would learn later on that this is not a safe place either. Yeah. Now you mentioned college. Um, at 15, you obviously didn't have your high school diploma. Did you end up getting your GED and did you go uh, beyond that with any other higher education programs? Yes, I did. Um, and that's really the avenue that I took in terms of rehabilitation and staying positive and, and kind of surviving emotionally and mentally um, is that I, I did uh, get my high school diploma and then I progressed uh, to get my associate's degree while I was um, in, in TDCJ, which is the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, would you say those programs were you know, on a level that was uh, challenging for you? Were, were they well done programs? I would say during that time period, yes. Uh, the college programming, um, the education programming um, back in the 90s for the women was was pretty good. Um, it declined over the years, and, and that's something that I've been working on recently. Uh, but I felt like my, especially my my college experience, was was pretty good. Oh, that's great. And your associate's degree was in what area? Just general studies. General. Okay. Um, so what would you say the factors were that in your life that landed you in prison? We, we so often talk about what happens to women before they go to prison, that so many of them, such a high percent, have experienced trauma, would that be the same for you? Yes. <laughs> yes, yeah. ma'am. Um, you know, it, it was definitely the factors that led me um, to incarceration were uh, mental health issues. Um, I was later diagnosed uh, with a mental health condition, you, you know, and, and it was like those symptoms first appeared in school and they they began to manifest more and more and, and nobody knew what to do. Um, and so it just got progressively worse and compounded uh, with a history of sexual abuse, um, physical abuse. Yes, ma'am, those things uh, definitely contributed um, to my path uh, to the criminal justice system. And, and what about the women with you? Would you say from your experience, uh, a similar path? Yes, if not worse. Um, you know, when I, I got uh, in, incarcerated, even through juvenile and through my um, through state, adult state prison, I, you know, sometimes I would think back to um, the things in, in my life that, that led me there. And, you know, everyone's pain is, is subjective. What is extremely painful for me may not be for someone else, but I just was amazed at at the women that had suffered far greater trauma um, and violence than I had um, with no support and, and they survived and they survived well, um, even if they were um, in prison. And uh, so I would say, and I just told this to somebody the other day, almost every single woman I have ever uh, encountered, interacted with, um, talked about our histories with, uh, while I was in, in prison, had a history, um, of violence and trauma. 
it's just incredible to me. I mean, I've read so much about this. We we know this, but what are we? How are we approaching this? You're you're making a statement that's quite a statement that just about every woman you came across uh, in your twenty some years um, in incarcerated um, experienced trauma of some kind. You know, small, large. Uh, it doesn't matter. Um, what are we? How are we doing something about that? Or why I should maybe I should say why aren't we doing something about that? Well, you know what I've discovered when when it comes to and I'm very passionate about um, you know women and people with disabilities and youth uh, that experience the criminal justice system because our voice gets um, drowned out uh, or hijacked. But I think it's simply it, it's this deep cultural resistance to investment uh, in women and believing that women are worth uh, investing in prior to their involvement in the criminal justice system. I mean, we're seeing more diversion programs, more mental health courts and, and things to, to, to kind of be that net uh, before women get in, in the criminal justice system. But I mean, it, it, obviously it goes way beyond um, you know, just kind of stopping them at the door. It, it goes, mm -hmm. you know, to the heart of, of our culture and our society and understanding what we believe about women and violence. And um, yeah, and I saw that in the system when we're talking about programming is that, you know, the state sees us or it felt like the state sees us as kind of half human because we're so-called criminals, right? Mm -hmm. So we kind of get treated as, as kind of subhuman while we're in the system. But men, they do acknowledge there's something worthy about them to invest in education, college, programming. Uh, but when it comes to the women, it feels like well, we get thrown whatever's left over. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, and it's because they don't, they don't see the value in women's education. So it, it kind of mirrors this, this um, maybe this deep-rooted cultural um, belief that women don't deserve certain things or don't deserve that type of investment. And if, if there's uh, some type of violence or trauma in their home, I mean, you know, it's, it's just a woman. And, and it, it's, it's treated differently if, it, if it's a man. Yeah, it's, a, it, it's funny. I just finished reading an article in the um, last Sunday's New York Times magazine section about head trauma and battered women. And the article was saying that, almost echoing what you just got finished saying, that we have done a lot of research on head trauma with football players, mm -hmm. but not so with women who uh, many of them in the article had been beaten for 20 years running. And now uh, we're just, it's like, we're just waking up to that. Why? You know, it's just, yeah. <laughs> it's like a rhetorical question, of course, Jennifer, <laughs> but um, it just, it's funny how you, you, your statement just um, 
made me connect to this article, a very extensive article. And women that go to doctors to complain about the fact that uh, they their vision is impacted, they have headaches, you know, a lot of neurological issues all related to the head trauma. And, and I think it's great that the article was written and maybe it'll wake some people up, you know, who knows. So um, are there things that would have made a positive difference as you did your time? Now you've mentioned college, but was there um, a program that offered say, counseling or a therapeutic program like writing or artistic expression programs? Was there anything like that for you? Uh, during my time? No, <laughs> I no. can't, I can't really recall anything. The only type of any type of creative writing or um, anything like that was always through a college class. Hmm. Um, I remember one class that I, I really just, and the women loved this class. It was called oral performance. It wasn't necessarily a drama class, but it was, you know, learning how to read different uh, types of literature and, and uh, perform in it, you know, and the women absolutely loved it. And they were excited to go to class and they didn't want to get in trouble because they didn't want to miss the night that everybody was performing their piece. And, you know, that was just one class that was offered once or twice once or twice. Um, and I, I always wish that we had more stuff because it was, it was, you know, something about creativity. Um, it inspires hope. I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to explain that connection, but even as the years, as I wrote for the prison newspaper, um, there was something about that process that gave me hope of something greater than this this cage that I was living in. Um, but, but it just, like I said, a lot of the programming is certainly during my years was very, um, faith-based oriented. Um, so there were, you know, you can imagine Texas, um, and I'm not saying that those programs aren't good. It's just that they can be very, um, limiting, uh, in terms of whatever their doctrine is or their beliefs are. And, uh, the, and there was one program that really, really helped me. And it was called a peer education program. And it was where um, an outside nonprofit came in and trained us as health educators. And we taught uh, the other women in the facility uh, things about HIV, their body, uh, their health. And uh, we were allowed uh, this curriculum that gave us the opportunity to structure the classes and the lessons. And this started out as a very robust uh, program when it had a lot of funding uh, to where these was a full-time job and we were teachers, but as the funding left and the staffing capacity dropped, you know, it was a once a month class for, you know, four or five hours. Um, but it was something that we really looked forward to. And it really brought me out of my shell. Um, there's no way uh, that the Jennifer uh, prior to being a peer educator would have ever been able to talk to you today. Um, mm -hmm. That It really uh, helped me know how to communicate and come out of my shell. And when I got out of prison the first time I uh, worked at that nonprofit and would go back in and train uh, the women how to be health educators. And, and that was really other than college, that was the only other outlet I ever had um, to do something that felt creative and productive. Hmm. So certainly that's an area that, uh, that the justice system really should be addressing um, and and I 
I wrote down a question for you. I almost know the answer. Does prison rehabilitate people? And if not, why not? No, <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> you know, and, and because we can talk about all the positive things um, that that a, a system could could provide, but at the end of the day, I'm trying to survive. And um, a good friend of mine always frames it around that. She goes, "I half the stuff I don't remember." She said because I was in survival mode. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, it, it, when you're living from that, if that's the lens you're looking from every day. How can you be real? How can you really focus on growth and healing in an environment that is you're you're afraid that you're going to get stabbed in your face when you're asleep? I mean, you you can't have it both ways. Um, So I, I, I don't think that prison is a place for rehabilitation. It's it's a strange word to use in that environment. Yeah, indeed it is. I'm aware of some programs um, in New York prisons, uh, rehabilitation through the arts, putting on uh, wonderful productions, uh, a writing workshop in a women's prison in Connecticut led by the author Wally Lamb and restorative justice programs, but they're not enough. They're, they're spotty throughout mm-hmm. the, the nation. Um, so uh, it's unfortunate, but I, I think, I think these programs, particularly a writing program, um, have great potential. And I know that's something I would like to talk to you about further. Um, You did say you would come back and and talk to us again. So I I want to um, explore your writing, which is what drew me to you. I read a a wonderful, wonderful essay that you wrote. Um, And to see, you know, whether you're, that took you places that Maybe something else didn't. Um, so I've read a number of your essays, and I, I love your your personal style and your your honesty. Um, so we we only have a couple minutes left, but let me ask you close by asking you: Did you begin to write for therapeutic reasons in prison or after you were released? It was. Uh... I've always loved writing, even as, as a, as a child, it was a good, good way for me to be able to articulate how I was feeling. Um, but I did start writing before I got out the first time. And that kind of led me into going to college, working on a, a journalism degree. And then when I got rearrested and the first year or two was real hard, Harriet, I was, I wanted to commit suicide. I was so it's such in a dark place. And this thing inside of me, I I like to say it was the spirit of God was like, you need to write. And I started writing. And um, so I want to say it was really something deep within my spirit that knew that that would be a way to healing. Yeah, it's it's a wonderful, wonderful way to heal. The um, guest I had uh, on last uh, last month um, said that writing lances old wounds and helps them heal Mm -hmm. and uh she is uh, someone that uh, i kind of adopted um 13 years ago and she just got out of prison she was here last time so we'll pick it up again next week i'm so glad you're willing to come back and talk to us further and uh, it's been wonderful to talk to you today and we'll see you next time on pursuing justice and thanks for listening today Thanks for listening to my podcast today. 
You've been listening to Pursuing Justice on Society Bites Radio, and I'm your host, Harriet.